Hi everyone, and welcome to the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm your DJ and host, Sam Wilson Jr., as I bring you the history of black music, gospel, jazz, blues, old school classic soul, old school hip hop, today's hip hop and R&B, Caribbean, Latin, Afrobeat, Afro-Latina, Blue-Eyed Soul, Disco, Go-Go, Line Dances, and The Lost 45s. So come with me as I take you on a trip to the history of Black music, right now on the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm Sam Wilson Jr. and this is the Black Soul Music Experience. On this episode, I had a chance to meet this man that I will give a shout out to. And yes, 34 years ago, I became a Viacom CBS employee, which was known back then as CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System, the CBS Television, Radio, and Record Network. And the Black Rock headquarters was located at 51 West 52nd Street in New York City. And yes, I did paperwork and dropping off things to the radio studios. Now then, as I mentioned, CBS was one of the three major networks that was TV, radio, records, and other miscellaneous stuff. And I got a chance to drop off packages to the CBS TV network, TV stations, records, which was later sold to Sony Music in 1987. And I got a chance to get to radio and all of the big bosses on the upper floors. But when I got to the radio department, I got a chance to go to CBS FM 101.1, where I got a chance to see all of the radio DJ personalities. But when I got to the floor below, on the 16th floor, I went to drop off packages at WCBS News Radio 880 AM. And I got a chance to deliver packages and flowers and everything to all of its reporters and everyone else, which includes Jim Donnelly, Bridget Quinn, Denise Jimenez, Wayne Cabot, Rita Sands, Therese Crowley, Deborah Rodriguez, and Harley Carnes. On the weekends, I deliver packages to Tanya Hansen, Vicki Allen, and Sarah Lee Kessler. And yes, I delivered packages to Vicki Allen, which I just mentioned earlier. Back then, she was a news correspondent and doing news over the weekend. And I also got a chance to meet Stephen Reed, Darlene Palmales, who later was married and was Darlene Rodriguez, and also Tim Schell and Tom Kaminsky, who was the shadow traffic guy. And for those I deliver packages to the news desk, um, includes Terry Raskin, Tony Gatto, Cecily Brown, Alicia Martinez, Lori Mack, Donna Hernandez-Leon, Yasinia Torres, and Aileen DePeter. And yes, I got a chance to deliver packages to the traffic department. Now, the traffic department is the department where you drop off commercials. And yes, I got a chance to drop our packages to Miss Linda Siegfried, Carol Dobson, 
Ernestine Smith, Jessica Nicolette, and the late Ed Geis. And yes, deliver packages to the Public Affairs Department, including Agnes Green and Jean Hodge, and to those in the Sales Department, which includes Alfreda Bond Jackson, Joan Green, and the late Odessa Reed. But this person I'm about to introduce to you has been in the game for many, many years. And yes, he was the one who taught me how to do a demo tape. And I sent out demo tapes to some radio stations in the NYC, in Queens and in Long Island. Unfortunately, I didn't get the job. So then I was still at CBS and I was then messenger, then later moved up to messenger dispatcher. And today, even though I've been working in and out, in and out and everything, I once worked at WVOX, which I got my first big break. Now, let me share something with you. Back then, when I was little, I was afraid to read in front of the class because all of the kids had laughed because of my voice. And look at me now. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, I'm in the radio. Yes, sir. And now I'm doing this podcast. So as I said, I'm about to introduce to you this man whom I give a shout out to who helped me out doing and how to do a demo tape and send things out to all of the radio stations. And yes, he's a sports reporter whom I met many, many times. And yes, before he done some things, yes, he did some other things on the side. And he was a sports reporter for WCBS News Radio 880. He left CBS to do reporting sports at MSG, which is Madison Square Garden Network, and later ESPN 98.7 FM. And in case you may not know, ESPN is the sister network of ABC, which is owned by Disney. And later, he became a radio DJ personality at WBGO 88.3 FM. That's PBS NPR affiliate. I hope you enjoyed this interview so much that I had to bring him on my podcast. So without further ado, I'm about to bring to you my special guest on the Black Soul Music Experience podcast, Mr. Bill Daughtry. Welcome to the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm Sam Wilson Jr. and I have a very special guest on my episode. He is a former sports reporter for WCBS News Radio 880, also a former sports reporter for MSG, and then he later went to ESPN 98.7 FM, and then he became playing jazz at WBGO FM. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor and privilege to bring you my friend and colleague, Mr. Bill Daughtry. Hi, Bill. How you doing? Damn pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Welcome to my podcast. Glad to have you here, and it's a pleasure 
to reach out to you again. It's been many, many years since I've listened to you on the radio, whether it's doing sports and then later you switched over to jazz music and things like that. We're going to talk about everything in a few minutes. That's fine with me. Absolutely fine with me. Looking forward to it. Okay, so as always, we always ask our guests a few questions. Now, where are you originally from? Are you originally from New York? I was born in Harlem. My first address was on 135th Street, right across the street from the Harlem Y. From there, we moved around the corner over um, a place called the Dark Pharmacy, right across the street from the Surprise Rotisserie on 136th Street and. Back then, it was 7th Avenue. Now, it's Adam Clayton Powell Jr. Boulevard. And we moved to Mount Vernon when I was like seven years old. And I actually grew up there. We lived there for the better part of, uh, I can't say 12 years, because that would just make me 19. We stayed here uh, into, our, into my 20s, I believe. We left there in 1978 and then moved to Co-op City in the Bronx. And from there... Me and my wife, Cal, we bought a house down here in Union, New Jersey, where we live today. Wow, I got me another Harlem native, so I'm from Harlem myself. So I'm originally from Harlem, and I lived on West 139th Street between 5th and Lenox, which is now Malcolm X Boulevard. And I was born at a hospital called Siderham Hospital, on Manhattan Avenue and West 122nd Street. The hospital has... Yeah, so the hospital that I was born in has been closed because of budget cuts back in 1980. So today, it, it is now a home for the seniors. It's the Manny L. Wilson Towers. And no, I'm not related to that person. So as I said, I lived on West 139th Street. I lived in the Delanois Village, which is now called Savoy Village Apartments. And across the street, that's where my late paternal grandmother had lived. And uh, during 1969, my parents were divorced. And then my mom had took me and my late oldest sister. We had moved to the Bronx in 1969. And just like you, I've been moved around the Bronx a lot. So I have lived on the west side of the Bronx. And then after my oldest sister had passed away, my mom and her boyfriend at the time we moved to the east side of the Bronx. We have moved into Parkchester. And then after that, me and mom have moved back to Harlem. We have stayed in the projects for a while with a couple of her friends. But then after the New Year's of 1973, we moved back to the Bronx. We lived further up towards Westchester County. And we lived in the Wakefield section, those two family houses. So we have lived on... East 226th Street, and then mom had met, uh, you know, this guy, which is my future stepfather, and, and he's from Jamaica, and we have moved around. We moved to Rylander Avenue, right by Jacoby Hospital, then moved to Kingsland Avenue, then moved to Hillside Homes, which is now called East Chester Heights, and then moved back up forward towards up Mount Vernon. So we lived on Harper Avenue, and then I 
moved back down to East Chester Heights, which used to be called Hillside Homes. So ever since I got families on my late father's side of the family in the Bronx and where I hail from, from Harlem, and the rest is Brooklyn and Queens, and the rest is upstate New York and the New England colonies, I should say New England states, and the rest is in D.C., and Philly, PA, and the rest is in Hollywood, Los Angeles, California. So you know I have a lot of family more on my late father's side of family. Yeah, family's a good thing. It's always a good thing. Yes. So as you know, I, I came from my late father's lineage representing the ministry, the media, education, and politics. So I just want to say thank you, you know, for, for reaching out to me and to our colleague, Stephen Reed, you know, you're the one who was there. You know, I did the demo tapes. I sent it to a couple of radio stations, even though I didn't get one, but I went, got another one as an intern out in Long Island. So I, I haven't given up. So then when I went back home to the Bronx and then what the WVOX, WRTN radio in New Rochelle, that's when they started changing the format, but not for long. So I've been there from August of 1995 until it was let go in 1998 because the computers were moving in. And, you know, I worked at other stations, WFUV, which is PBS, NPR in the Bronx and City College. And now I had revived myself, you know, doing my own DJ gigs. And, you know, now I'm doing this podcast. I, I, I just want to say thank you so much, you know, because you've been there for me through, through the years. Well, look, never give up. Always keep trying to push forward, toward, toward the mark, man. You never know what, what God has in store for you. Thank you so much. Now, how long have you been a sports reporter for WCBS News Radio 880? I want to say I came to WCBS in 1987, uh, and I stayed there until 1991. From there, I went to WFAN, and from WFAN, that's when I moved into the television side of things and started working at MSG, and I was there for about 10 years. And uh, when that was up, I thought about what I wanted to do. The program director of ESPN was a friend of mine from when I worked at WMCA, which was even before WCBS, Mike Thompson. And we sat down and had a conversation, and the next thing I knew, I was working there. I stayed there uh from 2006 until I retired from there in 2017. Now, what were some of your memories there when you was at WCBS News Radio 880? So as a CBS employee, I was an employee back in 1989, and I delivered packages, you know, when News Radio 880 was on the 16th floor, you know, that's why I got a chance to see, you know, not just Stephen Reed, but, you know, everybody in the traffic department. And I see the newsroom as it is, you know, me growing up watching the newsroom on TV and, and things like that. So what were some of your memories? Uh, did you get a chance to keep in touch with your colleagues? Uh, 
um, at WCBS? I, I met my wife there, and we are married to this day. Some 32 years later, Stephen Reed was the best man at our wedding. Um, I enjoyed my time at CBS. I learned many things there, and it was interesting when uh, I, I was working there part-time, and WBBM, CBS affiliate in Chicago, called me out and asked me if I'd be interested in working there. They flew me out and did the interview. And uh, Corey Davis, someone else who I had worked with many years ago at WMCA, he was uh, one of the uh, vice presidents of programming there. And uh, we thought we had a deal worked out. But when I got back to New York, WCBS said, nah, we're going to keep you right here. You're going to be a staff employee. And uh, I stayed there for five more years. So it was... Uh, very interesting time, and uh, as I said, met my wife there, got a chance to cover the Super Bowl there. I, I've been to six, and I think the first three I did with uh, WCBS, and they were all memorable Super Bowls, 23, 24, and 25. So uh, it, 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 was a, it was a very productive uh, five years that I spent there at News Radio 88. Now, yes, you you mentioned uh, Carol Dobson, who's now your wife, and um, everybody in the traffic department, you know, Mr. Ed Geis and Ernestine Smith, and then after when Ed had deceased, uh, there was a new girl, uh, Jessica Nicolette. I usually play around with her most of the time. And uh, everybody else, Gene Hodge, public affairs director, and, and, and Agnes Green, just to name a few, you know, these are some of the people that I always deliver packages to, and, you know, and, and she, they always give me advice on what to do. So uh, just making sure that you, you know, if you're thinking about in the media, just make sure that you have all the tools and, and things like that. And not only that, you know, I got a chance to see Darlene Palmales, who's now Darlene Rodriguez, and now she's on the superstardom. She's at NBC for New York. And most of the time I usually watch her in the mornings and, you know, and sometimes I'll look at some of the other networks, but I always, you know, just support my colleagues, you know, especially people of color. And, you know, that's how you see some representation on there because my late cousin had worked for CBS and he was the first black to be hired when it was at the old location on Madison Avenue and East 52nd Street, and Records was right around the corner, and he worked at the broadcast center taking care of news film syndication, and he dropped off all the newsreels to all the CBS news bureaus in London, Japan, and Beirut, and he's been there for 33 and a half years. That's when Mr. Tish had bought the network in 1986, so news got hit the most but my cousin's job was saved, so there was another office at 111 8th Avenue on the 8th floor, or the 9th floor, if I'm not mistaken, and he was doing data processing, and he was there for a year and a half until he said, I quit, because that was not his field. So, uh, you know, I kept in touch with my cousin, you know, until he passed away in 2005, so, uh, excuse me, 2015, at the end of Black History Month. So I always say, thank God for my cousin, Ernest. Had it not been 
for my cousin Ernest, you know, we wouldn't see you or Stephen Reed or Darlene Rodriguez or Vicki Allen or many other colleagues, including Gil Noble and Melba Tolliver and Bill McCrary, just to name a few, because we saw a representation, whether I see them on TV or listen to on the radio, because that's, you know, that's some of my memories that, you know, that I are still up to this day, you know, when I be on the floor before news radio had moved to the broadcast center, and now it's down at the Tribeca section. So we still do deliveries for them until CBS had sold radio. And, but I still keep in touch with Bill and, and Willie Thrash and, and, and yes, Jessica Nicolette. I haven't heard from Jessica in a few years. Uh, Willie Thrash is a name, an amazing gentleman, one of the best engineers you'll find on the planet. Now, you mentioned you've been over at MSG. So what what position that you were doing, have you taken care of, I don't know, either the Mets or any other teams that you were doing or were you were working behind at the sports desk uh, in between the commercial breaks? We did everything at MSG. When, when I came to Madison Square Garden in 1996, we had the broadcast rights to every professional team in New York City, with the exception of the Jets and Giants, and we still did programming related to them. And we also had a program called Sports Desk, and I was one of the anchors on Sports Desk. When I wasn't on Sports Desk, I was doing this game night during baseball season. We did both the Mets and the Yankees, a lot of road trips, a lot of games, and again, a very exciting, very productive time. Last week, I talked about Super Bowl. Last Super Bowl, I went to Super Bowl 35 in Tampa and did that as a member of the MSG broadcast team. Now, um, at 98.7, which used to be KISS FM, now it became ESPN 98.7, you know, I was in the car with one of my chairmen in the Deacon Board, and he had on 98.7 ESPN. Now, what was the change that you went over from, yes, WCBS News Radio, then MS, MSG, and then ESPN? Uh, did you get any more airtime over at ESPN 98.7 FM? Well, in the beginning, I was just doing some spot stuff, and I was only doing that for a couple of months, and then I became a full-time employee there That uh, to the point that I, I actually have, uh, when you, when you uh, are an employee for 10 years, Disney gives you a plaque, a Mickey Mouse Memorial plaque, which I on my wall now. Uh, again, as it is with most broadcast jobs, when you first join a, a, a broadcast entity, they usually plug you in as a part-timer. And then in a very short period of time, you become a regular. And so I was doing my own show at night. I was doing updates at night. I was doing everything. Uh, and it got to the point where I was doing Jets pregame, pre and post, as I did at WCBS for a number of years. And then because of my affiliation with Madison Square Garden, I wound up doing the same 
with the New York Knicks, in addition to the talk show Monday through Friday, which uh, ultimately as time went on, and I got closer to knowing it was time for me to to leave. Uh, instead of signing three-year contracts, I started signing one-year contracts, so I'd have that flexibility. And when the day came, I decided to leave. I, at that point, I was doing a morning show. So, you know, I, I again, in every stop that I've made in my career, I've done just about everything that it was that you could possibly do at that station. The only thing I haven't broadcasted for money is weather. <laughs> weather and traffic. Wow. <laughs> I've noticed about everything there was to do, both in television and radio. Now, besides covering the Super Bowl and the baseball, were you ever called on covering during the winter and summer Olympics? I did do the uh, Summer Olympics in Atlanta in 1996. We were still with uh, WFAN at that time. That was one of the last things I did for them. And uh, we were connected with NBC Radio. We had a great broadcast center there and uh, a great group of people, most from WFAN to work with. And we did national broadcast every night. We recapped the day in the Olympics. Now, growing up, uh, doing about sports, was reporting or doing the sports, was that your calling? I wanted to be a baseball player. And by the time I was a sophomore in college, I realized that wasn't going to happen. And I was always interested in and exposed to the entertainment world. And I've been a DJ at college radio station uh, at the start of my sophomore year. wasn't able to get on in my freshman year. And from that point on, I pretty much focused on the broadcasting. Yeah, because every time I see every sports athlete, you know, they always go into the broadcasting booth. I, I never knew that because me growing up, when I'm watching the Mets game, you know, locally on WORTV Channel 9, back in the day, they would have Bob Murphy and Lindsey Nelson and Ralph Kiner. Only thing I didn't know that Ralph Kiner had played baseball when he was playing for the Pittsburgh Pirates. And the same thing, same thing with the with the Yankees. When I was watching the Yankees, when it was on Pixie Eleven back then, Phil Rizzuto and Bill White and Frank Messner. I didn't know that Phil Rizzuto had played for the Yankees, and I didn't know that Bill White was playing for the National League. I don't know which team that he played on there. He played primarily for the St. Louis Cardinals. He was drafted by the New York Giants. He got traded to the Cardinals and. Uh, after uh, he had a, a bad knee injury, he finished his career with the Philadelphia Phillies. Bill White, very good friend over the years, one of my mentors in broadcasting, one of my mentors about the business of baseball. Of course, ultimately became the president of the National League. Solid gentleman. Yes, indeed. You know, and and like I said, you know, many sports athletes that I see, you know, in the 80s, they all retired and, you know, got into the broadcasting booth, you know, and things like that. So I would never knew back then growing up in the 70s watching 
all of the games. And then when it got into the 80s and I see so many athletes, either they have retired, whether they're going into the broadcasting booth or they're going to be managers for or coaches in football, they say coaches in baseball is just managers or or hockey or soccer. They all, you know, have moved on to different things. And that's what something to me, you know, me growing up and everything, I would never knew that most of these athletes, you know, when they get old, you know, they either retired or they would do something else. And something had, you know, really something that was really that I've learned from all of those things. So once I get a chance to see or hear and everything, it, it it's it's a opening your brains and, and things like that. So I kind of, now I seen everything, you know, once you're young, you played in sports. And then once you get all those injuries, you'll probably say, can I continue to play or just retire? Cause me, you know, I, I played in sports. I, I played in little league, you know, I was there from 1976 and until, you know, I, left in 1979 because I was playing in the little league. And then when you got to the majors, I said, oh boy, you'll be going into the majors. I mean, real big time. So I said, you know, I quit. So that was something for me to do. Not only it was very athletic, but you know, it just keeps you healthy and, and things like that. Just, you know, just get you off the chair and, and things like that. So I've, did a lot of activities growing up and not just baseball, but I learned how to do a little bowling and play a little golf because I played, you know, different types of sports and especially in school at gymnastics and things like that. So that was something that I always have been doing. I know you've been doing a lot besides baseball. Were you recalled by anything else besides uh, baseball? Um. Like I said, I, I wanted to be a baseball player. wasn't good enough. Uh, never played football or basketball competitively. Uh, in my older age, I started to play hockey. But, again, it wasn't competitive. Uh, enjoyed it, ice hockey. And uh, now I just golf and, and, and I bowl. Wow. That's, that's really things. That's something that really keeps you going. Now, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll come right back as I continue chatting with my friend and colleague, Mr. Bill Daughtry. You're listening to the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm Sam Wilson, Jr., and I just want to say thank you for tuning in to my music podcast, the Black Soul Music Experience Podcast, where I bring you the history of black music, gospel, jazz, blues, Old school classic soul, old school hip hop, today's hip hop and R&B, Caribbean, Latin, Afrobeat, Afro-Latina, Blue-Eyed Soul, Disco, Go-Go, Line Dances, and The Lost 45s. This year, it's going to be different, where I'm going to be doing all the talking, and I'll be bringing you more artist profile birthdays. And I finally got some special guests to be on my podcast. So in order for me to continue, then I need your help. Please subscribe. Go to anchor.fm 
forward slash Samuel dash Wilson Jr. forward slash subscribe. And please support my podcast. Go to anchor.fm forward slash Samuel dash Wilson Jr. forward slash support. And keep listening to the Black Soul Music Experience Podcast every Tuesdays, available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for your support. Welcome back to the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm Sam Wilson Jr. And with me is my special guest, my friend and colleague that I knew down through the years. He's been at WCBS News Radio 880 as a sports reporter. And then he went on to do other networks. And he's enjoying his retirement. I'm talking with my friend and colleague, Mr. Bill Daughtry. So after you left ESPN 98.7 FM, what made you switch over from doing sports and switching over to playing jazz at WBGOFM? Well, it, it really wasn't a switch because I've been affiliated with WBGO over the years in, in various capacities. And it, it's interesting as I look back over my career, I worked at WBGO longer than I worked anyplace else. <laughs> but uh, it was the last, I want to say, three years of my working career that I spent there as a full-timer in the last two years exclusively. And uh, I finally stepped down from there in, in September of 19. But I'd known the general manager, uh, Cephas Bowles, bless his soul, he passed away some years ago. We both went to the same church in Summit, New Jersey. And one day I, you know, told Cephas, I said, you know, I could, I could do what you do with your radio station. And he gave me an opportunity to show him that I could do it. And uh, like anything else, do a bunch of part-time shifts. And then all of a sudden, one day, Paul, uh, come on, we got a spot for you. And uh, I had several spots over the years there. So uh, it, it wasn't... Uh, a last-minute conversion, you know, all through my, throughout my life, I've been exposed to jazz and other forms of music. My parents, they really loved entertainment and exposed me to it. And when the time came, I was able to use that to my advantage. Now, were you a huge jazz fan, or should I say, were you a huge fan of jazz music growing up? No, jazz was another form of music I enjoyed listening to. I, growing up, I mean, I was like most other black kids, man. I was I was in Motown. I was all about Smokey. I was all about Temptations. I knew about jazz. I knew about jazz artists. Uh, I can remember from a very young age. As a matter of fact, I have a picture where I'm five years old, six years old, sitting on the floor with some of my parents' albums, Ellington, Newport, uh, Sassy Sarah Vaughan. Mary Jo Williams. So I, we, we were always exposed to the music. We were always around the music. So there was, there was natural interest there. But in terms of what I listened to, because I mean, back in the day, aside from WLIBFM, before it became WLS, WLIBFM was really one of the few places that you can listen to jazz music 
on the radio. I grew up listening to guys like Symphony Sid. Uh, I would listen to WRVR. A friend of mine was, is still in touch with Uncle Les Davis, who was one of their stars. So I, I listened to all kinds of music, but I was a fan of Motown. Well, same here, because, you know, me growing up, you know, I was been dropped off by every family member and babysitter. So when I was dropped off at my late maternal aunt's apartment in the Bronx, in the South Bronx, you know, she would play gospel music all day, whether it's James Cleveland, Shirley Caesar, Edwin Hawkins, or the gospel choirs and quartets and, and quintets. And when I was dropped off at my maternal grandparents' apartment on East 168th Street in the Bronx near the 3rd Avenue L, my late grandfather would play some Motown and he would play some Atlantic records. And then we, he would play some Stax records, including the Isaac Hayes LP. And he played this LP called the Isaac Hayes Movement. It was something new, and it was four songs too long. And when I look at the album cover, I, I, I say to myself, is Isaac Hayes swirling a bowl of cream of wheat? And then when I looked on the back cover, I was like, all dressed up in a suit. And I was like, is he blind or cross-eyed or something? And when I opened up the album cover, that was his trademark. It was Shades and Chains. So, you know, that that was part of the music that I was exposed to. You know, the Isaac Hayes would either talk or rap and segue into a song. And he would take a song, a remake, and he would take a song from three minutes and he would take it and strip it and stretch it far wide as I can see. He would take it from a three-minute version to 12 minutes, 13, 14 15 minutes and like i said I, I got exposed to that and then like you said you know you were play, listening to jazz i was exposed to jazz when my late mother boyfriend had a couple of jazz albums you know dave brubeck and herbie mann and then when i was moved to parkchester there was grant green and stanley Turrentine. so when i was dropped off at my mom's friend's house. It was Philadelphia International. You had the OJs and Billy Paul and Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes with Teddy. And then when mom met her future husband, my stepfather, and when I was moved to East 226th Street in the Wakefield section of the Bronx, we had some new neighbors and they had moved in and in the spring of 73 and they were from Jamaica West Indies. So I was exposed to Caribbean music, you know, Bob Marley and Byron Lee and Gregory Isaacs and the mighty Sparrow, just to name a few. And when WLIB FM had changed to WBLS, so that's when they had Ken Spiderweb and Vi Higginson and Frankie Crocker and Lamar Renee and their sister station, WLIB 1190 AM, they will play some of those, those lost soul classics, you know, the lost soul, or the lost 45s. And then by 74 or 75 on a Saturday morning, they were committed to doing Caribbean music. So they made a commitment to Caribbean music. So they had it from 
six to ten, and it was Ken Williams. And I got a chance to meet him back in the mid '90s when he had his own radio show, and on ninety-three point five FM WRTN, which is now WVIP, and that's the sister station of WVOX. He left WLIB because the format was changing from from music to black news and talking information. So he he bought black airtime and then everything. So I got a chance to meet him and all the other DJs that I grew up listening to. So me, I've listened to all black music, everything from gospel, jazz, blues, and old school classic soul, old school hip hop, and you know some of today's hip hop and R and B and Caribbean and Latin and and now you got Afrobeat and Afro Latina and and Blue Eyed Soul. And when I went to visit my cousins in D.C., they would take me to some places. You know, it was go go music in D.C. So when you in D.C., that's go go territory. And then I got into the line dances and and then everything. So I got exposed to everything that I can get my hands on. So when you listen to everything, you're exposed to everything. You agree? Uh, absolutely. Now, you mentioned uh, some of your favorite jazz musicians. Um, do you get a chance to listen to some of today's jazz musicians, whether it's traditional or smooth jazz? Uh, absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, I was putting together a playlist for a friend of mine who's having a birthday party next month, and uh, he loves jazz, and you know, he has to do a, a, a playlist for him. So I was listening to a lot of music today. Uh, vocalist Samara Joy, uh, Renee Marie, Jasmine Horn, contemporary jazz vocalist uh, Gregory Porter is another on the male side of things. Uh, there, there's a myriad of people now, and and some of the young musicians, James Francis, a pianist out of Houston, Texas, uh, Christian McBride, I count him as a friend. He's probably the, the busiest bassist in the world, not named Ron Carter. He, he curates, put together the uh, Montclair Jazz Festival and Newport Jazz Festival each and every year. So, uh, you know, I still have my ear to the ground, and uh, I still listen uh, fervently, and uh, I still enjoy it. Wow. So, you know, I, I did get a chance to listen to the new artist that you just mentioned, Samara Joy, and she just won a Grammy Award for Best New Artist. So... That happened. I mean, I, she's extremely talented, but how often does jazz get recognized uh, in, in that manner at the Grammys? You know, jazz is always a, a separate side project that, you know, uh, and, and the jazz winners were, and they put a list of them up, and that was it. You know, even, even the year when uh, Herbie Hancock won for uh, his tribute to the Joni Mitchell, the Joni story. It was kind of like a back burner kind of thing. It wasn't so much of jazz. Everybody in jazz, they rejoiced and celebrated. But uh, it, it was interesting to see. It, it caught my attention when it's Samara Joy, best new artist of the year. That's pretty cool. Yes. 
Yes, indeed, because, you know, not many of the young people may not know about jazz like, like I do. And, you know, not getting ex any exposure, especially to the younger generation. But me back in the 70s when BLS started playing mostly artists that were jazz crossovers because last season I did an episode on jazz crossovers. Um, you mentioned Herbie Hancock. And also there was George Benson and, and John Handy. Uh, those were some of the, and, and also the Crusaders with Joe Sample on the electric piano because they were the ones that they were crossing over to get richer to a bigger market. So when, you, when they get into the pop music as well as soul and R&B music, they're getting a lot of exposure. So, you know, same thing with gospel, you know, they're getting, trying to get a little crossover to the younger crowd. So the same thing with jazz, both of those uh, music calendars, they had exposed to the younger crowd. So for those that don't know about jazz and some people don't know about gospel and, you know, just reaching out, you know, to the younger crowd. And, you know, when, when the late Frankie Crocker was around, he played everything, you know, he played gospel, he played jazz, he played blues, he played soul, he played today's R&B, he would play Caribbean, he would either play disco or, or blue-eyed soul. You know, it was something that get the rhythm to it. He didn't care if it was white, black, Latino, or Asian, or Caribbean, or LGBTQ. He knew that music was music. He didn't care what gender or race you are. He just knew that it was just music that has a lot of soul to it. And when it comes to gospel and jazz, that's played even more. So, you know, I wish to see it happening somewhere in my lifetime, especially at the Grammys. And, and I just mentioned Samara Joy, you know, the youngest one. And yes, she's from the NYC too. So big shout out to some of our jazz musicians and especially the younger ones upcoming. So that's something that I would like to see in my lifetime. Okay. Bill, you still there? Yes, I am. <laughs> I thought I lost you. <laughs> but anyway, have you ever regret on playing jazz instead of being a sports reporter? Have you ever regret about that? Would you have probably done jazz music, you know, when you were younger at that time? No, I have no regrets about anything I've done from a career standpoint or a life standpoint. You know, uh, my life is what it has been, and I've enjoyed it. I mean, just like everybody else, you have setbacks, you have disappointments. But uh, regrets, no, I don't have any. Now, while you was at WBGO-FM, did you get a chance to interview any jazz musicians that stopped by, whether they were there to promote uh, their jazz LP or whether they're promoting their special on PBS? We would have a lot of artists coming through when they were on the New York leg of a, a, a tour or they were promoting uh, a new release and uh, we would do studio sessions with them. So we, you know, I, I've had the opportunity to sit with 
many of, of, of the greats of jazz. George Coleman is one that comes to mind. He was part of a, a trio, a quartet, I should say, with uh, Brian Charette on organ, Vic Juris, and his son, George Coleman Jr., was on drums, and George, a great tennis saxophone, who has played with many, including uh, Miles Davis over the years. He was part of Miles Davis's group back in the late 60s, early 70s. And he comes into the studio, and he says, are you that guy that does sports? Or I said, yes, sir, I am. He says, I just want to let you know, I really enjoy your work. I said, well, thank you very much, as I enjoy yours. And by the end of that session, we had formed a mutual admiration society. So uh, long, long, long answer short, got the opportunity to meet and spend time with many great jazz artists at WBGO. Now, you mentioned George Foreman Jr. I'm thinking to myself, is that the son of the boxer George Foreman? No, 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 no. George Coleman Jr. Oh, George Coleman. Thank you for correcting me because... A lot of people might remember George Coleman Jr. from a hospital commercial because he had some heart issues and he went, I think it was the hospital for special surgery. I can't remember which one. But he was on a TV commercial for a couple of years. He's a big, robust guy, a drummer. And he talked about his experience with his health problems and how that group of surgeons helped him get back to doing what he loves. So, you know, he, he's a great drummer in his own right, and his father is uh, one of the greatest ever to play tennis saxophone. Now, while you was at WCBS News Radio 880 and also MSG and 98.7 FM, did you get a chance to interview some of the sports athletes whether they were at the studio? Uh, we did a show at Madison Square Garden called Talk of Our Town, and many athletes came to us because we were on in the middle of the afternoon and they would come to Madison Square Garden, maybe for that night's Nick game or whatever, and they would stop by and spend time with us. We, we got to talk to lots of people. Um, one of the more memorable interviews was with John Madden, the former football coach and the guy that they named the video game after. He put, he put his name on that video game. John Madden came to Madison Square Garden for the first time I want to say in the early 2000s, and we just happened to be on Sports Fest that night, and John Madden came up and spent a few minutes with us talking about his first trip. This is his first trip to Madison Square Garden, and of course, we talked about his great football career and the creation of, of Madden football, and at the time, he was uh, with Pat Summerall at Fox, and so uh, a few years later, after he retired, I was in San Francisco to do a Nick game and we were staying at a hotel and there was a sidewalk cafe across the street and me and a colleague went down to get breakfast that morning and who was sitting there at that sidewalk cafe? John Madden. He says, oh, I remember you. You're the guy at Madison Square Garden. I said, yes, sir, coach. And we had another great conversation. So, yeah, we we had the uh, privilege and opportunity to talked to many athletes and musicians over the years. 
Now, if I'm not mistaken, did I I know Bernie Williams. He played for the Yankees, but on the other side of the story, when I saw the commercial, he was just playing jazz and things like that. Um and and John Madden, you know, I I seen him on every TV commercial when he goes right through the wall. I'm like, "Oh my goodness, is, is that really John Madden going right through the wall?" and things like that and and pat summerall i got a chance to see pat summerall uh after before he left cbs and went over to fox sports so i got a chance to see everybody in in the building at black rock so i've seen some sports commentators i mentioned john madden and and pat summerall rest in peace to the both of them and i also got a chance to See some of the other news reporters that would stop by at the Black Rock building, you know, from across town, you know, whether it's Bob Schieffer or Charles Osgood. And the only person that I've met was the one and only Mr. Walter Cronkite. And me growing up, I didn't know that Walter Cronkite was going to retire in 1981. By the time I got to Black Rock headquarters, he was still there. And I said to myself, I thought Walter Cronkite retired. Now I, I realize that in the changing world of news, you know, you know, when people get old, they have to step down. It's time for some younger, fresh anchor man or anchor woman. So now I see that, oh, okay, Walter Cronkite has been there for almost 20 years. And then he stepped down from news and I see Dan Rather coming in. And then I seen Bob Schieffer and then later Katie Couric and then Scott Pelley and and Jeff Glor and Anthony Mason have filled in. And now we have Nora O'Donnell from CBS News. And now they're down at the nation's capital. So when I see so many news reporters, whether it's from TV or radio, now I get a chance to see everybody. And then, yes, a few celebrities would, would stop by. And, and yes, some soap opera stars, too. So I got a chance to see everybody. And, and yes, records, when records were still there after they were sold to Sony. And uh, I've seen Cindy Lauper, the first uh, artist, was there. And then Chuck D. And then LL Cool J and Wynton Marsalis have stopped by, you know, before they had moved out of the building. So... You and I, we all seen so many faces, whether it's in music or in sports or reporting the news. As everything is all good, it's just uh, something to always remember, and, and I call that a piece of history. Uh, we're gonna take another quick break, and we'll come right back to wrap things up, and we'll be continuing to chat with my friend and colleague, Mr. Bill. You're listening to the Black Soul Music Experience. Welcome back to the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm Sam Wilson Jr. and I'm here with my special guest, my friend and colleague, Mr. Bill Daughtry. So we just have a, a few more questions before we wrap things up. Now, as we talked earlier, it was at WBGO, you got a chance to meet 
or interview some of the musicians that were stopping by, whether it's they promoting an album or promoting a special for PBS. And the same thing when you was at WCBS News Radio 880 and ESPN 98.7 and MSG, you got a chance to interview some of the sports commentators and athletes. Now, here's the next question I wanted to ask you. Living or dead, which musician or sports athlete would you have wanted to interview or meet in person? I think Jackie Robinson would really be the only one. Yes, Jackie Robinson, the one who broke the color barrier in baseball. And I was out in Brooklyn and we usually, my late mother and I, we usually be on the Interborough Parkway. Now it's called the Jackie Robinson Parkway in Brooklyn because um, his tombstone is out in Brooklyn at Cypress Hills. And I was out at Cypress Hills back in October of 2018 after I came back home from vacation because I was looking for my paternal great-grandmother who was buried out there, but there was no tombstone. So my paternal cousin had purchased a tombstone and I got a chance to take a picture and everything. So when I'm going through Cypress Hills, I was thinking about Jackie Robinson. And yes, Interborough Parkway was renamed the Jackie Robinson Parkway. So I have to tell you, when you're on that parkway, you got to go through those curbs and things like that from Brooklyn to Queens. So, you know, I got a chance to see some of the greats before they were passed away. Uh, one of them was Coach Eddie Robinson. And I was on the men's fellowship at my church, Community Protestant Church, and we went out to Giant Stadium back in 1997. Um, it was uh, the Whitney M. Young Jr.'s Urban League Football Classic. So I got a chance to see Coach Eddie Robinson on the football field. That was some of my memories in sports. So I got a chance to see some of those sports legends, uh, whether it was coaching or, you know, and everything in the broadcasting booth. So that was some of my piece of history right there as well. All right. Now, as we close out the program, I always bring you something. So I always ask my guests, I'm here to bring you the Black Soul Music Experience Top 10 Black Artists of All Time. But on this episode, we're going to bring the Top 10 Jazz Artists of All Time. Are you ready, Bill? Let's do it. Okay. Now, who should be at number 10? Wow, going from the bottom up, a lot of people forget about Billy Eckstein, great jazz vocalist from Pittsburgh, one of the great baritones of all time. I guess I can make it look at that. Yes, Billy Eckstein. Um, I've never heard of him before, but when I was on Rylander Avenue, I was looking through all of the Motown records, and they had the record sleeves that had all the albums. So I've seen Billy Eckstein was on Motown for a while, and then he was on some other record labels, but I saw him in the movie called Let's Do It Again, which starred the late Sidney Poitier and Bill Cosby. Um, he played, you know, the numbers, you know, numbers office and, and things like that. 
So I got a chance to see him acting in his acting debut. So I did hear him before, but, you know, I don't have a CD. Hopefully they will have it on iTunes. So, you know, rest in peace to jazz singer, Mr. Billy Eckstein. All right. Who should be at number nine? Uh, that's, uh, you know, great organist, brother Jack McDuff. Oh, Jack McDuff. Oh, yes. Um, I never heard of him before, but I hear that name very often. So one of the, one of the great jazz musicians, you know, everything. And, you know, when I was at. One of my favorite tracks by Jack McDuff is something called Rock Candy. He did a club in Newark, New Jersey. And his guitarist on that set was a young George Benson. Wow. George Benson played with Jack McDuff. Wow. I didn't know that. Wow. So, wow. Now, now I, I learned something new. So, you know, the George Benson I knew when he was playing Breezin and this masquerade and Give Me the Night. But I never knew that he was playing with some of one of the greatest musicians. Now, who should be at number eight? Well, since we just mentioned him, George Benson would be a, good, a great guitarist uh, and reinvented himself and became known to a whole new generation of people and a whole section of music as a vocalist. Give me the night, this masquerade. Yes, yes. And just mentioned George Benson when I first Heard him on 107.5 WBLS when one of the DJs played the song Breezin. And then I heard the DJ saying, that's George Benson performing Breezin. Oh, that's jazz. So now I see George Benson, as I mentioned earlier, one of the jazz crossovers, getting into the uh, pop mainstream as well as the soul and R&B mainstream. So we see George Benson playing and, and everything. That guitar, that's his trademark. When he does that, blah, 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 that's, that's one of his trademarks. So, yes, Mr. George Benson. Uh, who should be at number seven? Number seven, great pianist, great poet, Gil Scott Heron. Yes, Gil Scott Heron. I remember him when his debut back in 1975. He's best remembered for that song, The Bottle. When I first heard it on WBLS, they, they played out of it. And not only his song, The Bottle, but he also sung the song called Johannesburg. It was about Johannesburg, South Africa. And when I first saw him, he was on NBC's Saturday Night Live. And uh, the guest host was the late Richard Pryor. And he played the song Johannesburg. So, yes. And he had some other songs, you know, in the later 70s, you know, dealing with social issues. He, also, he debuted with an album, a spoken word album. It also had uh, a track called Free Will on it um, in the early 70s. It was on Flying Dutchman Records. So, so Scott Aaron. Great artist and great song as you were talking about Johannesburg. Detroit, like Johannesburg, freedom ain't nothing but a word, ain't nothing but a word. Yes, I remember that Gil Scott Heron. Rest in peace to Gil Scott Heron. 
I, I forgot to mention he was the one that says the revolution will not be televised. Now I know who that is, Gil Scott Heron. All right. Also made famous by Patty LaBelle on uh, their pressure cooking album. Wow, I didn't know that. <laughs> All right, who should be at number six? Dee Dee Bridgewater, great vocalist. Wow, Dee Dee Bridgewater. Um, I heard that before, and when I was at WVOX, I played a couple of tunes of Dee Dee Bridgewater. And I saw her performed on the Tavis Smiley show on PBS back in the early 2000s. Wonderful jazz singer. Um, you know, hopefully they will have some more of her, you know, pretty soon. Very nice lady. Very nice lady. Yes. Now, who should be at number five? Now you're getting down to the to the crunch, to the crucial, uh, I got to put Herbie Hancock in there at number five, and he's still going strong. Yes, Herbie Hancock, just like you said, you know, still going strong. You know, he played jazz and, and fusion. He once played with Miles Davis and John Coltrane. And then when fusion came in, that started breaking out a bit. And then he started uh, crossing over uh, other mainstreams, too. But back in 1983 of April, when I first heard the instrumental called Rocket, and when I heard the DJ had said his name, I said, Herbie Hancock did Rocket? I didn't know that Herbie Hancock did that song, Rocket. Because when you hear that, you know, the DJ would be scratching, scratching the LPs and things like that, I said, that's Herbie Hancock? I said, I didn't know that. And when I was watching a music video, um, there used to be a show called Top 40 Videos. It was aired in syndication in NYC. And I got a chance to saw the video. Man, Herbie Hancock. And, and same thing with George Benson, Herbie Hancock, two of those jazz crossover artists that got into the pop music mainstream for the younger crowd. So uh, hats off to Herbie Hancock. He, he's still going strong as ever. Now, who should be at number four? Duke Ellington. Yes, the one and only Duke Ellington. Um, Great band leader. Collaborated with Billy Strayhorn on a number of... Uh, matter of fact, there's some to say Strayhorn has made Ellington famous, although Duke is very talented on his own. Uh, Duke Ellington would be number four. Yes, so I've always think about Duke Ellington, you know, you know, it's playing on the piano, has his own band, and I got a chance to play a couple of his tunes when I was at WVOX. And one of the instrumentals that I played that was from the movie Malcolm X, um, it was something that was very stream and, and everything, musically soothing and soulfully good. Yes, rest in peace to the one and only Duke Ellington. Now, who should be at number three? Probably my favorite trumpet player of all time, Freddie Hubbard. Yes, Freddie Hubbard. Um, I got a chance to play a couple, couple of his tunes. His, his jazz trumpeter is very soothing and soulfully. Yes, one and only Freddie Hubbard. Now, 
who should be at number two? Miles Dewey Davis. Yes, the one and only Miles Davis. He he broke ground in all jazz music, whether it's bebop or fusion or contemporary jazz. And during the the late 80s up into the 90s until he passed away in 1991, he'll be best remembered for doing cover tunes. You know, he he did his version of Michael Jackson's Human Nature and and Cindy Lauper's Time After Time. So back then, when I was playing stuff at WVOX, I went to the library and picked up a couple of Miles Davis tunes. All of his tunes were like either 10 minutes or 15 minutes long. So the, the song that I like was called um, Kind of Blue. So that, that hold up everything. So when I was at WVOX, I had to get me a Miles Davis song during the eight o'clock hour, try to change the uh, the uh, the electric system, you know, going down from 100 down to, you know, 500 watts and things like that. So I said, pull down the Miles Davis song and come right back and play the commercials and everything. So when I needed something to fill up that eight o'clock hour, I said, put on some Miles Davis. 15 minutes, classical contemporary, bebop, everything. Rest in peace to the one and only Miles Davis. And yes, he's the first jazz artist to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay, now we're down to number one. Who should be at number one? There, there was only one John Coltrane. Yes, John Coltrane. So everything i i have a couple of jazz coltrane lps including his version of my favorite things and also in a sentimental mood that's the one that i like you know john coltrane and billy Eckstein. yes on live at birdland john coltrane does one of the greatest versions you'll ever hear of i want to talk about you which was written by Billy Eckstein. Mm, yes, and, and, and everything. John Coltrane turns it into gold. So I, I listened to his version of My Favorite Things, 13 Minutes, and some other um, songs that I have listened to. So especially one of his songs that would use in the Spike Lee movies, including A Love Supreme. I, I listened to that on YouTube. And everything that, that John Coltrane does, he turns it into gold. So there you have it all, the top 10 jazz artists of all time. Well, Bill, it's been a pleasure talking with you and having you here on my Black Soul Music Experience podcast. And before I go, I just want to say, Happy retirement to you, my friend. And yes, you and Carol were married at my church, Community Protestant Church in the Bronx, New York. I remember that very well because you told me everything. And, you know, Carol has been one of, you know, our church members before you and Carol moved out to Jersey. But I always say I always reached out to you. And again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Sam, the pleasure was all mine. Thank you. Okay. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to hear this interview, please subscribe by going to anchor.fm forward slash Samuel dash Wilson Jr. forward slash subscribe. And please support my podcast. Go to anchor.fm forward slash Samuel dash Wilson Jr. slash support. And please pass it on. Thank you for joining me as I close out this edition of the Black Soul Music Experience. Well, that's about it for this edition of the Black Soul Music Experience. I'm Sam Wilson Jr. Thank you for joining me and please tune in next week for an all new episode. If you enjoyed this podcast, Please subscribe by going to anchor.fm slash Samuel dash Wilson Jr. slash subscribe. And please support my podcast by going to anchor.fm slash Samuel dash Wilson Jr. slash support. You can also leave your message by going to anchor.fm slash Samuel dash Wilson Jr. slash messages. And please leave your feedbacks and your comments and your replies by going to my Facebook homepage. Go to facebook.com slash the Black Soul Music Experience Podcast. And you can also tweet me on Twitter at Sam Wilson Jr. 66. As always, parting, remember this. Reach for the top and your dreams will come true and it can happen to you. From all of us, take care. God bless. Thanks for listening. Have a good week. And please be safe.